Welcome to Ami Sites, a podcast that offers you access to thought leaders who can help you expand your entrepreneurial toolbox. Learn from seasoned entrepreneurs who have already walked in your shoes and can help you with your day-to-day business decisions. Join the founder and CEO of Multifunding, Ami Kassar, and his co-host, Lynn Ozer, the president of Multifunding, aka the SBA Queen, as they help you navigate, grow, and stay in control of your business. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the next edition of Ami Sites. I'm Ami Kassar, your host, and I'm so excited to have Jay Sidhu, the chairman of Customers Bancorp maybe the best kept secret in banking in the country here on the show today. And Jay is a fascinating person. I had the great privilege of reading his book, which I it's hard to show in the reflection, but his book that is recently out is called Never, Ever, Ever Give Up. And it talks all about his journey from India, coming through his backpacking journeys as a young man, some of the trials that he had, coming to the United States with almost no money in his bank, coming to Pennsylvania, which reminded me a little bit of Al's story. We moved from the United States when I was eight from Cape Town, and our first stop was Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and my dad was a doctor at the Hershey Medical Center. Oh, wow. And anyways, Jay evolved and grew to really a a titan of banking, and Customers Bank Corp is at the cutting edge of technology and innovation. Really, what I thought what I found fascinating about your book, Jay, is it's really all about you. So here's my question for you, my friend. Why did you write it? Well, I mean, thank you. Thank you for inviting me to this uh, podcast. And that's a good question. I'll tell you what. About five years ago, I became a grandfather for the first time. And reflecting back on you being a first-generation immigrant, and so was I, and reflecting back on a lot of things, I thought, why not leave something for your grandkids and write it down, you know? And from that sort of, sort of a innocent uh, goal, I, when I started talking about it and started read, writing it, I said, it's, why not try to write all about things, about your successes and your failures and your achievements and your vision, your goals, and and everything else and you're so blessed to be have this opportunity to be in this country and why not try to write something for entrepreneurs for young people uh, for those who may want to look for some inspiration and examples of others because at the end of the day if you know i was very blessed that my dad had a great influence on my life he was my mentor and I wanted to pass on what he did for me on to others. So it took me about two years to finish the book. And uh, for the first 11 chapters was very descriptive because I was only thinking about writing about for my grandkids. I threw that away and then started all over again. And this time around, it was stories, stories about my life, stories about experiences, stories that related to the things that I consider very important. And what I learned along the way, starting with my father, but all the other experiences. And now I have a goal and a mission to try to reach at least 5,000 young people in America or around the world and make a positive difference in their lives from sharing my experiences and my disappointments, everything in life with them. And, and that, to me, will be ultimate satisfaction for me. And that's the, been the purpose of the book. 
I love it. Can you read my palm for me? Do you still read palms or you're not? <laughs> well, as you know, I mean, you know, I, at the young age of 17, like you mentioned, I used to see young people come in from the West to India. At that time, they were doing it for because they were sort of a hippies. And I set a goal. Why not try to do the same thing with Indian kids going over to the West and try to promote some world peace through international understanding? But I had no money. So I set out and at the end of the day, I found a way to, to hitchhike, you know, over 15,000 miles and through the hot spots today's hot spots of Afghanistan, Iran, Turkey, Greece, Italy, and whatnot, and Yugoslavia, old Yugoslavia. And uh, at the end of the day, I had to think about how do I make money? And that's where the palmistry comes in. You know, you've got to be an entrepreneur. You've got to think about your vision, your goal, what you're trying to achieve. You must have that. And then you must know about what your capabilities are. What are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? What are your aspirations? And how can you take advantage of that? And how can you be helpful to others? And then you've got to make sure that whatever you set out to do, you got to do it better than what anybody expects to do. And number four is you've got to be passionate absolutely passionate about things that you're doing and then at the end of the day be a constant learner and give back so that's what got me here if girls were interested in knowing about whether they're going to get married or they're going to get this and in the process i helped them give some answers to them which maybe they were at least at least 75 percent correct in my opinion and i made some money it was a win-win for everybody (laughs) (laughs) and i made my trip over 15,000 miles, and I made $6. I came back, I went left with 100, and I came back with 106. That's uh, amazing. <laughs> <laughs> and that was the best lesson I learned in life. Always have hope, never, ever, ever give up. Always be clear about your vision, clear about your mission. It was forward progress every single day towards London, and then back was back to Delhi and make sure that the $100 that I had borrowed with my parents putting up $200 of collateral, cash collateral, that they don't get stuck and that I've got to find a way to get them to 200 back. And that means not only traveling and achieving my mission, but it was also to come back with money. That's what entrepreneurs do every single day. Reminds me when I was a senior in college, I was in Boston and I decided I needed, I really needed a car. So I bought from a taxi cab driver friend of mine, a really, really old blue Dodge Dart. Terrible. It's $150. Wow. And when my dad came to visit two weeks before graduation, he was so mad at me that his son was driving this thing that he wanted to go buy me a new car and I wouldn't let him. But I was really proud when I sold it after graduation. I sold it for $500. So I think I did great. <laughs> well, I mean, my first car was for, I spent $150 and it had a hole at the bottom of the feet. Right. I about it. So right. about oh, and every time yeah. I went over a puddle, the darn water would be coming up. <laughs> you know, but see, that's what gives you the total appreciation for gratitude. Right. An appreciation for be thankful for what you have. And that is so critical aspect of successful. You cannot be a great leader unless you're a great human being first, and you can't be a great human being unless you're authentic. And I learned through all these experiences, 
how important it is to be an authentic person and how important it is to be grateful for everything you have. And that doesn't mean, uh, you know, that, that you can't be proud of certain achievements, but at the same time, be very humble. And every time you're humble and you give back to others, they will give back to with not expecting nothing in return. You will get 10x, 10x. You always need help from others to succeed in life. Let's talk about that because one of the big things that I wish I had more time to work on than I do is mentorship. So I know that if it weren't for mentors in my life, many of them former YPO, now WPO guys, I wouldn't be where I am today. Are you a YPO? No, I'm an EO guy. Okay. So people who are listening who don't know, there's YPO, which is Young Presidents Organization. Then at some age, I'm not sure what it is, people in YPO graduate to WPO, which is, I think, World's President's Organization. And the group I'm involved in is Entrepreneur's Organization, which is EO, which typically not precisely is slightly smaller companies usually than YPO members are. And then in EO, so in most chapters around the world, the threshold to be an EO is you need to have a million dollars worth of revenue and no one can fire you. And then we also have our accelerator program, and that is for companies with revenue between 250 and a million dollars who are aspiring to try to get to the million dollar level. So I took over as the president of the EO chapter in Philadelphia. I'm on a two-year run. I'm about halfway through my first year. And one of my passions, which I've been a little bit distracted by other crises in the world, is trying to really instill mentorship and mentorship culture. Absolutely awesome. Yeah. You you will learn so much. And I always think it's a virtuous circle. So people did it for us. We should do it for others. The challenge is it's such a demand for it. And it's so disorganized. Yeah. Let me share with you as an example on this topic. I'm so glad you're doing and that's your passion and you're going to be doing more of this. But like I shared with you, I have a goal of 5,000, and you talked about these organizations like EO and YPO and others. Well, I've been a YPO for the last 25 years, mm-hmm. and I am on a mission now. As you know, YPO is similar to EO, it has chapters all over the country and perhaps around the world. And so one of the things which every successful person like you, like me and others, had, do have an aspiration to give back. But, you know, we are so busy and we don't have the time to, like you said, to organize it because it's difficult. So I'm on a mission to try to go visit with as many entrepreneurs and chief executives as possible and sort of show them how it can be done and how you can be, make such an impactful, such an impact on the lives of so many people. And if you, even if you make a difference in the life of one person, it makes it so meaningful, but imagine we are so privileged to be in an opportunity to make the difference in the lives, positive difference in the lives of thousands of people. And it's not just money. And you see a lot of successful people, you know, who just leave money behind for charity and let somebody else distribute it for them. I, well, I want to have my the last check that I write. I'd love to have it bounce, you know, and you do something, not just well, money should be one of the facilitators, but also experiences and the wisdom that you've learned and, and the things that you've learned from failures. Because all of us, life is never a straight line. 
you know, in right. business, in personal life, professional life, every aspect. And and if it's going too great, watch out. Watch out. Because yeah. something <laughs> is about to happen and you better be ready and prepared for it. And never lose hope and never lose that opportunity to get back on the saddle and be resilient. So I would encourage all EOs from, you know, to really try to do everything possible to help the other younger folks become entrepreneurs also, you know, and, and never, ever, ever give up. It struck me during the pandemic, our companies helped in very different ways. A lot of entrepreneurs with PPP and read their stories. I know what you guys did. It was heroic, cleaning up some other people's messes and things like that, but it's a different story. But one of the things I was asked to do in the pandemic one night was to teach a SBA class for a women's entrepreneurship group at a Black African-American church in Philadelphia and to do it virtually. And pretty quickly, the slides didn't come out because none of them needed money. Money wasn't going to solve their problems. They needed some basic guidance. So I'll never forget it. There was a woman on there who'd been trying for two years to get forty dollars or $50,000 to open up a kitchen so she could bake desserts because her idea was to do a business making desserts for restaurants that didn't serve desserts. And she was so focused on getting the money. And I asked her, had she ever thought about renting a kitchen for an hour a day at a restaurant when they were quiet to make her desserts or starting to make them in her kitchen? And she never thought about that. And so sometimes there's some basic things we take for granted. And there are particularly in underserved communities, people who don't ever even get the opportunity to be in the EO accelerator group or an EO or YPO or to get to hear the great speakers we hear or this or that. They need some basic block and tackle help and how to get that to them in an organized fashion for because sometimes I think the government thinks that if you just give them money, it'll solve everything. And that's not usually how it works. Yeah. No. I don't know what you think about all that. I completely agree with you. It's the opportunities for, like you said, mentorship. And just handing out money is not the solution. Like they say, teach a man how to fish, you fed him for life. Give him the fish, you fed him for a day. You know, so we've got to help folks to be successful in life. And you know, think about every every entrepreneur. I mean, just including not just you and I as entrepreneurs, but every entrepreneur that I have ever come across in life has had somebody make an impact on their life. Somebody who helped them. Somebody who gave them some advice. Somebody, and they've also been through some setbacks. You know, it right. doesn't have to be a, a total failure, but setbacks. And they were resilient. And so those are the kinds of experiences from those things can have an extremely valuable kind of mentoring, all the way from the simple example you gave about looking at different ways to start the business to when you've started it, how can you overcome the obstacles that you will have and at the same time, balance your life, at the same time, help your children, who, who's really at the end of the day in life, they are the only ones who are going to remember you. 
you know, and we are on a journey here for a short period of time. Why not make an impact on others and why not, why not help the next generation become better than ours? And there are ways, there, is, there are no classes for parenting. There are no classes that you learn for how do you be a good partner, good friend, good spouse. That is all learned in life, you know, and from watching others and from your community that you are in, from your grandparents, from your parents. And, and that is something which is really needed. And that is something which I focused on your first question, what made you write the book? That's what was going through my mind. And I tried to, that's why, cover not only stories of my life, but also my views on the purpose of life, the meaning of life, about happiness, about spirituality, about raising children. Okay, there is no for one formula set up, but you can tremendously increase the chances if you follow, if you're aware of certain responsibilities. Okay, share with us, if you can, a little bit about Customers Bank. Yes. And so, why do you think Customers Bank, which you've built to an incredible organization, what do you think makes you different from most other banks? Yes. Okay. So my, in my life, uh, I've always been an entrepreneur in the banking business. And, uh, and prior to the customer's bank, uh, just take 30 seconds on that, prior to the customer's bank, I started and, uh, a, a bank called Sovereign Bank, which is now Santander, which we built from scratch to be a Fortune 500 company. Along the way, basically learn the experience that you've got to be unique and you've got to excel in a few things. And you've got to be a master of how the world around you is changing, but never ever forget that the purpose of business is to solve, is to make your customers say, wow, it doesn't matter what business you are in, but that is your purpose. So what do you mean? They must say, wow. All right. If you can get that done and you understand how that business functions, you will succeed. So Customers Bank was started with an objective that high touch, which is that personal relationship, is very critical. But technology now can make you, if you become very good in also using technology, and we call it high touch combined with high tech, and the digitization is now giving you an opportunity to go national rather than just your local geography, that you can get big by staying small. You can do the things which you could expect awesome experiences out of the personal touch that you can combine that with technology and you can go through. So we built Customers Bank from scratch starting in 2010 to be a bank for small, medium-sized businesses and specialty companies who are in certain businesses. And we hire the best people Give them the support with the best products and services that you can have. Never forget that our mission is to help our customers succeed beyond their imagination. Succeed beyond their imagination. We are partners. We are not a bank. We want them to say, wow, we don't want to just give them money. We want them to succeed in every aspect. That was the purpose of Customers Bank. From that purpose, today, we become and we are so grateful to our clients to help us become a $22 billion company and among the 75 largest banks in the United States, starting from scratch. We haven't bought any banks. You know, it's all organic growth. 
We are the fastest growing banking organization. We were recognized by the stock market for the last two or the last three years as the best performing stock in the banking industry, right? So all of those are to, to us is fundamentals that you've got to never, ever, ever forget that you got you are in the business of having your customers succeed. So today, to give you an example, PPP. When PPP came out, banks said, oh my God, this darn government program. It's another pain in the neck. It's terrible. It's horrible. We got our own stuff over here and they shoved it down the throat. We said, oh my God, in the, here's the pandemic. We got to help small businesses. Why can't we find ways to reach them? Why don't we? But the government thought banks should be the distributors because banks can reach in a local community. And we looked at ourselves as we can reach all over the United States using partnerships and using digitization and using technology as such. And we made more PPP loans to small businesses than JP Morgan Chase, which has the greatest number. All right. And we made sure that those customers were successful we, to the best of our ability. And we were rewarded in the process. So that's an example. Okay. To me, we are doing, that's the way we look at it. We are right now involved in three or four very exciting things. Small business administration lending is very important for us. And SBA lending to help small businesses think about their ideas that they are generating. These government programs are there, but it's not just money. You got to help them in, in every single way. The example that you gave about the kitchen and the lady who wanted to get into the dessert business is a darn good example. There are lots of examples like that. We want to be able to promote that uh, and, and help them in every single way. And at the end of the day, that's how we flourish and how we win. So that's Customers Bank Corp's purpose and results to date over a 12-year period from scratch. We've become a pretty darn big New York Stock Exchange-based company. Well, I, I love it. And what I will say to folks is that sometimes the word entrepreneur and bank are almost like bipolar opposites. Yeah. <laughs> and there are very few banks in this country run by entrepreneurs. And that is, and kudos to you. And we are actually this week moving all of our banking at multifunding and also all of my personal banking over to customers back. So we can start Thank to you. experience it and the technology and the platform and learn about it and write about it and, and all this. But very rarely do you see in this country banks with an entrepreneurial spirit. It's pretty sad how few new banks there are actually formed or started in this country. Innovation in the banking industry is from my experience, very difficult to pull off. And so kudos to you. How do you think you've done it? Are there some ingredients to your success that you think have made, gotten you where you are with your customer's journey? I mean, you're so, so right about innovation. And, uh, you know, I was at Money 2020, which is a large, uh, you know, thing that they do in Las Vegas every year, you know, a couple of years ago, and I was sitting next to this very large bank, one of the top five banks in, in the country, CEO, and, uh, and she was talking about innovation. And you know what she said? Innovation to us is putting 
television screens. This is a couple of years in the branches. And we're going to change the branches. We're going to take human beings out and we're going to put screens. And I just looked at her and I said, don't you carry a cell phone with you? Don't you have a screen? Don't you think your customers have a screen in their pocket? Why would they want to go to a bank branch at Union Square? This is my example she was giving. And then watch this huge big screen and have, have everybody on the street be able to see what you are doing. And that, to me, you call innovation. And that will make the customers keep coming back. Well, they have pulled all that out now. All right? <laughs> a couple of years later. Because they forgot that innovation is making that customer's life easier and much better and much more successful. Not just giving them what you think is innovation, right? Because you were cutting cost and replacing a human being with a screen. So how do we do this? Okay, One is we are very clear about our purpose. And that purpose, like I shared with you, our purpose is to have our customers succeed beyond their imagination. Beyond their imagination. Then we look at what is our, how, what kind of skill set do we have? What, like inside, things that we control. Things that we control are technology. Things that we control is managing regulations. Things that we control is hiring people. Things that we control is training people. Things that we control is innovating with what we have and how do we deal with our clients and our customers all the time. In other words, every single aspect of running a business which is inside the business, you got to be a master of that. Absolute master and continue to innovate in that aspect. Number three is external environment has a huge impact on the performance of your business. In banking or every regulated business, external environment can sometimes be more impactful in good ways and bad ways for you than even things that you can control, like regulations, regulatory attitudes, regulatory affairs, as well as technology changing, as well as your customers changing and your external environment changing and the economy changing and the pandemic coming in and hitting you and whacking you on the side of the head. All those are external environmental things, right? You got to deal with that. So I almost, we almost think about this way as if you can't stand the heat, get out of the kitchen, you know? So the heat, you got to know how the kitchen operates, you know, and what you're going to need to cook. And, and last but not the least is that you must must, must be a constant learner about all these things, about your purpose, about your uh, internal strengths and weaknesses, about your external environment and everything else that you need to be successful. That is how we run our business. We know that it's very important for us to be top-notch in safety and soundness and compliance and meet the need requirements of the regulators. And yes, that makes our life tougher, but guess what? That is life. You know, you don't always get everything the way you want it. All right. So you got to be dynamite in that. And how do you deal with it? That's what the example I gave you. If you can't stand the heat, get out, out of the kitchen, which means don't be in the banking business. Who the hell asked you to be a bank? You know, go do something else. But if you chose to be a bank, then you better be darn good in managing regulation. Absolutely. So is there one book that you've read along the way or one speaker that you've heard that's had the most impact on you? Yes, Viktor Frankl's Man's Meaning of Life, you know, Purpose of Life. And he had the greatest impact on me, without any doubt. Okay, Viktor Frankl was, as you know, at age 11, he was in a concentration camp. And he lost his whole entire family. And by the time he got out, he was in his 20s. 
and he was uh, he had studied he studied in Austria psychology and philosophy and Viktor Frankl's whole attitude was was what entrepreneurs would love which is that rather than psychologists looking at your past life to try to determine why you are who you are he was that you must have a purpose in life to and that will determine have the greatest impact on what you will be and where where you are today okay so it was like what we sometimes call positive psychology but he wasn't a rah rah he was very much of an academic person and you know and and just wrote this this is it's one of the best selling books ever and and that had such a great impact on my life now of course the dale carnegie's books simple books had very much of an impact also i read those when i was 12 years old how to win friends and influence people and how to stop worrying and start living my dad encouraged me to do that okay so all the way from dale carnegie at a very young age to victor frankl when i was in college and i end my book never ever ever give up by talking about you must always have something significant yet to do all right that is the message i got from victor frankl never ever have nothing to do all right <laughs> something significant and that something significant can change in life but not having something significant yet to do not looking forward to something always in your life is going to regress you but we are so fortunate to be living in this country especially for all of us and let us make the best of it this is the best country in the world and let us make the best of it let us make this better for the lives of everybody around us and that's how and met and let's not forget that we have an obligation for our to our family and our colleagues and our friends and we got to help them those are some of the basic stuff that i got out of victor frankl share with our listeners if you can i read it in the book reminded me some stories of my dad's first arrival in pennsylvania but share with us the story about arriving for college and the dorm and the suitcases where you slept for the first two days please share yeah so i got admission samarao at wilkes university in wilkesbury pennsylvania and uh, and i got a list of books from them that would needed for the very first semester so i had two suitcases with me and they were heavy because they didn't have clothes they had books because i wanted to save money in buying the book so anyway i land up in a march uh, trailways bus from new york to wilkesbury public square and and then i asked somebody where is wilkes university and they said it's on river road you got to get anyway so i walk over and like you said it happened to be friday before labor day weekend in the evening everything was closed and i walk up and there was a real lock over there because it was a door to the administrative offices of wilkes university kirby hall all right and do i do it's dark it's cold i'm i'm miserable these darn suitcases are each weigh 60 some pounds you know 70 pounds full of books and i have no place to go and i have 100 dollars borrowed again you know which the first time around i had to just give them back this time around i didn't have to give them back but i needed them. so i started crying i was 20 years old and i started walking back and i had asked a gentleman what do i do who is a security person and he said there is a homeless shelter at the ymca on river road so my first night in us towards the college was at a homeless shelter 
all right we're sleeping and taking a bath shower with folks who are of my you know in the 60s and 70s and 80s and were unfortunate so in the homeless shelter and every single time i had walked while i was a student i thanked and how fortunate and how much full of gratitude we have to be to have an appreciation in life and then later on i invited for behalf of works all the way from madeline albright to general powell to speak at works and i would walk with them past the ymca and i always told shared with them that story because it was i was so grateful for the opportunities given from that today we are very fortunate and very privileged that we have an opportunity to give back to works and to help first generation immigrants and first generation families to study at the sidhu school of business and leadership so we went down to business school and this is the american dream that i'm talking about which is there for anybody and everybody and i would encourage you know all immigrants and every single person to never ever ever give up you can you can start from homeless to become a fortune 500 ceo yeah i love that my dad's story when he came i don't know if it was his first or second trip to the states he came to hershey to interview and he arrived in philadelphia and it was the middle of winter and he had a light raincoat on <laughs> and somehow the bus he had to get to the bus station on market street to go to hershey and the taxi or something dropped him off in the wrong part of market so he decided to walk down the street and he was so cold he had never experienced anything like this in his life so he went into a mcdonald's to get a cup of coffee and he smoked at the time and he put out a cigarette his lips were frozen together <laughs> oh my god <laughs> when i read your story in the book Yeah. It reminded me of that story of my dad or then he went for his next interview someone told him to in Tucson or something and he arrived on Super Bowl Sunday and he didn't know what the Super Bowl was and no one was answering his phone. <laughs> I had memories of his stories as yeah. I read your stories and read your and, and you know here I am and here I'm in the financial services business and my very first class at Wilkes University was in managerial accounting all right Very good. Hi I had no idea what they were talking about because they were talking about financial accounting and SEC reporting I don't know I said what the hell is sec SEC you know and what is it and now point over here is you we have so much to learn and we should never give up on learning and we have so many opportunities and we should never forget that we have so many opportunities to have wonderful experiences especially in america we should take full advantage of it and we should give back at every single opportunity that we have to help others experience the same that you've experienced okay share with us just if you can your story you share in the book about you helped build up sovereign bank corp terrifically and then it didn't work out with a conflict in the board and you went but you stood up and you did something new and different can you share that with us a little bit sure so when i was at sovereign we built sovereign from a failing bank to be bigger than what is pnc today pnc bank today okay it was bigger than that and all from a small little town called reading pennsylvania right more than new york or philadelphia or silicon valley or san francisco or anything like that and and what did we do the same fundamentals i've already shared with you 
you know, the purpose was purpose was clear and what we try to do. So, but we were very mindful that things can go wrong too, because banking business are raw materialist deposits and our sales are loans. And you got to help your customers succeed because if they don't succeed, who gets stuck with a bad loan? The bank. All right. So, but all the best loans doesn't, they don't necessarily carry the highest rates. The higher the rate you pay, usually the higher the risk. You know, that's the way it works. So we at Sovereign had decided that we want to only be in the low risk businesses. So out comes a hedge fund guy who said, you're leaving a lot of money on the table and you got to be charging higher rates and you got to go in and get into the risky businesses. Just remember the big, great recession. It was caused because banks got into the risky businesses of getting people overextended in real estate and that caused the bank failures. So I'm, and that started to happen in 2006. I'm talking about 2004, all right? And I told him that we have to be very mindful that this is a cyclical business and we got to help our customers succeed. And any, and it's not a good business to be getting into high-risk businesses and encouraging our customers to take higher and higher risk and basically gamble. No, they should have success in life, not gamble and achieve. Maybe one out of 10, you'll achieve something great. Okay. So the board disagreed. He was able to convince the board better than I was able to convince the board. So I quit. I had to, I was asked to quit. I was uh, suggested, hey, we have disagreements, blah, blah, blah. So that's what happened. And to make a long story short, a year and a half later, Sovereign almost failed because it only, it took us 17 years to go from a small little company in Reading, Pennsylvania to be a Fortune 500 company, 17 years. And in one and a half year, you can take a Fortune 500 company and bankrupt it. That's all it takes. You know, if you don't, that's all. Because okay, downhill is a hell of a lot faster than going uphill. There's no question about it. You can just roll a stone, try to take a stone up the, up the hill, and you'll realize how difficult it is uphill. So that's what happened at Sovereign. Okay, I just went off my way. I was pretty financially sound. Okay, but I left my stock in the sovereign, so I lost a lot of money in the sense. So it's okay, regroup, talk to some of my friends. And Dick East, one of my friends who was our president, he and I partnered and we started what's now called Customers Bank. And now this one, and I'll tell you what, it is so important to have mutual trust and respect. And you gotta have trusting relationship. And that's how now we are much more focused all the way from the board. We don't want to partner with people who don't share our values, who don't understand our purpose, who don't understand our beliefs. You know, so values, beliefs, who are driven by greed, no, but who are driven by long-term success, which equates to happiness, right? And are appreciative and they're good businessmen. Good. They're so solid. It's sort of like the difference when you interview someone, you can, within the golden five minutes, you can figure out their personality. That's how we look at all the way from a board of directors all the way to the first level person. And the same thing goes for our clients because we got to be looking at clients to help them succeed. But if they are crooks and they are not determined to succeed, they just want to be for a quick buck. And they're not the right client. We are not, they are not the right client. So we have to be in that business to get out of those kind of clients. That's my story about sovereign and customers. 
reminds me a little bit, it's not the same scenario, but I moved, to, I was recruited to Philadelphia 20 something years ago to work for Advanta. Yeah, yeah. I was there for almost nine, 10 years. At the last few years, I was the chief innovation officer. And we decimated in the Great Recession. I had to help let 960 people go. I never want to live through anything like that again in my life if I can help it. And I was number 40 man standing, and it wasn't a surprise. I got fired by the bankruptcy trustees on Friday, and I started multi-funding on Saturday. <laughs> okay, and you had to and, I, and I don't look back. I don't. Of course, it's sad, and I try to learn yeah. from the lessons. But I didn't. I, I tell people you can't cry over spilled milk. You got to move on. That's correct. Absolutely right. Yeah. It's been such a pleasure to have you on. We enjoy working with Customers Bank. Our listeners are going to be hearing a lot more about customers and some exciting things we're working with them over the next few months and hoping to launch. And hope, Jay, this will just be the beginning of our relationship. We will put up in the show the book and where people can find it and, and all that when we release this. And I just want to thank you so much for taking the time to be on the show. Uh, what a pleasure and a privilege to get to know you also. And uh, looking forward to doing a lot more with you. Thank you. Thank you for this opportunity. Thanks for joining us today on Sites. Since 2010, multifunding has helped businesses achieve their biggest growth goals through creative and personalized funding solutions, working with a network of the nation's top lenders. Visit us at multifunding.com where you can meet our advisory team and learn more about how we help entrepreneurs fund their future.